Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. We're here to share some thoughtful insights and late breaking news about all the topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings. To all the consumers, raters, builders, realtors, or appraisers who want to hear about the evolving trends. Today's topic deals with raters, of course, and builders especially, and even HVAC contractors. Now, which appliance in a house usually consumes the most energy? And which appliance in a house is constructed from multiple components that have never run before they were assembled on site? And wouldn't it be great if a terrific installation of said appliance gained you some HERS points? And please forgive my use or misuse of the word appliance. I need to get your attention. We're joined today by Wes Davis, Director of Technical Services at ACCA, A-C-C-A, the American Air Conditioning Contractors Association of America, thank you very much, and Scott Doyle, Technical Director of ResNet. We learn more about the first voluntary standard for additional rated features, Standard 310, the grading of the installation of HVAC systems. Now, while the standard was just published in 2020, you can jump back to ResTalk Episode 20 to hear more about the early days of the development of the standard. While HVAC defaults can be used in a rating, builders should be excited to learn that in some cases up to an additional six points may be available for an HVAC system installation that's rated according to standard 310, and this could affect things like the 45L tax credit. The standard evaluates five key aspects of an HVAC system, the design review, total duct leakage, blower fan airflow, blower fan watt draw, and proper refrigerant charge. Now, there are usually a couple of options for evaluation of each of these aspects. And in the show notes, you're going to find a link to an infographic that lays this all out very simply and graphically. Each aspect that's rated gets a grade of one, two, or three, which of course affects the final system grade and of course affects the HERS points that are available. Now, raters can expand their skills in this important area by taking part in a free four and a half hour training program followed by a field practical assessment. Again, in the show notes, you get links straight to the standard, to the infographic, and then for the information on how HERS raters can pursue this. So let's listen to some of the details that Scott and Wes share with us on this important topic of grading the installation of HVAC systems. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Bill. Good afternoon, Bill. Scott, give us a little background overview yourself in case listeners aren't familiar with you yet. My name is Scott Doyle. I work for ResNet. I am the Director of Quality Assurance and Training. I've kind of shortened that typically to Technical Director. Very good. And we're talking about a technical topic today. And Mr. Wes Davis, give us your background. Thank you. And thanks for having me. This is always a pleasure to be here. Like Scott, I've got a kind of a long title, but I'd like to shorten it down to just Director of Technical Services. Spent a lot of time as a contractor in the field and then came up through ACCA working on standards and now heading up our department. Very good. And so speaking of standards, Wes will stick with that a little bit. That word, this is a standard that we're talking about the ANSI ResNet ACCA ICC Standard 310. That's got a big title yeah. behind it. Yeah. How long has this been in development? 
That's a great question. And I think that the short answer is ACCA recommended a new work item to the standards, the technical committee. It was at the time the ResNet technical committee before they switched to become a standards development committee. And we, so we saw an opportunity to promote the importance of HVAC quality installation. And we recommended a change to the standard, uh, standard 301. But rather than that, it was decided to be better to produce a separate standard. So great Scott, it's been out for a year now or so. And we've spent three and a half years before that going through the sausage making process. So it's been a while. Got it. And in this sausage making process, is there a basis? Where does this emanate from? People aren't familiar with ACCA. Give us a little background on ACCA, please. ACCA is a trade association for HVAC professionals. We are a membership organization. I mentioned a moment ago, working on our standards department. I also headed up our quality assured program, which is very similar to or supports the Energy Star Certified Homes Program and others. And so back to the standards writing portion, we have a quality installation standard and we saw value in having that recognized in the HERS index or the energy rating index. And so that's what prompted this activity to begin. Going back to turn it over to Scott, what's the ultimate goal and why does the standard need to be there? Historically, when we're evaluating the energy use and uses of residential properties, raters have had to rely on basically just nameplate information when it comes to HVAC. I mean, the only performance-related piece that we've been testing is duct leakage to outside as it pertains to the HERS index score. We can't give good credit where it's deserved for those that are going the extra mile to perform or to install to really high standards. And at the same time, potentially not even penalizing the really bad installations because historically we've just made some assumptions that all installations are equal. And of course, anybody who's been in the field or who's read any of the blogs in this industry, it's one thing is very clear is that not every install is equal. And the difference between really good and average or pretty bad is a wide gap and ultimately affects the energy use of the home and certainly comfort. And so I think there's a desire to give credit where credit's deserved. Obviously, one of the things that we're excited about is to finally have a change to our standard that leads to better performance or lower HERS index scores. And in our pre-conversation to the podcast recording, we talked about this may be the first additional rated feature and something like a voluntary aspect. Is that true, Scott? Yeah, I would call these rated features. The things that we're evaluating that would go into HVAC grading under standard 310, they are voluntary in that raters could still choose to model default values, but the default isn't going to be as good of an assumption as it has been in the past. But it would basically, our reference home that we use for comparative purposes to calculate the HERS index score, choosing the default will basically give you an equal quality install to the reference home versus if you voluntarily decide to rate these additional features, then you could earn the credit as being better than the reference home. And that credit that we might have mentioned before is up to six points difference? Yeah, that's what's been kind of tossed out there. That was based on some studies that were done before mm. ResNet accredited software providers actually had versions out that were compliant with standard 310. But I'd say that's probably still a decent ballpark number. 
But what we're finding is that it really matters what climate zone you're in and really how much air conditioning you're going to do. So for cooling-dominated climates that do lots and lots of air conditioning, you're going to see the most HERS index point benefit or potential benefit from a really quality install. And that makes some sense if you kind of logic test that. But the flip side of that is if you're in a cold climate, you don't do as much air conditioning, then of course, things like refrigerant charge that are aspects we'll probably get into here aren't going to make as much difference to your overall energy efficiency for that home. Unless you're doing heat pumps. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. Good qualification. And, and I say that from personal experience there, which we won't talk about there, but I had some heat pump issues, caused some excess energy consumption this past winter. There are three different grade levels. I'll just bounce it back over to Wes, get his chime in here. Tell us about those three different grade levels and how does that sort of play out? So I think it's important to also note that there are some prerequisites. So before we can take credit for some of the other quality installation aspects, we've got to have a good design and the duct leakage. Uh, Scott mentioned that before that was an element of the of what was considered. So before you can move forward with this grading system, you must have the design evaluated. And this is a slight difference for those folks out there who are doing Energy Star certified homes. Your design is reviewed. Did you use the right design temperatures inside and out? Did you consider occupancy and some other things in your load calculation? Where standard 310 goes is it, it looks at those elements, but it also confirms that the home was built per the design. So if I'm expecting this much glazing, this many windows in the plan. Uh, is that what was built? Oh, no, we had this extra window package that we installed. Oh, well, crud, that changes things. Or square footage, did we finish the bonus room or did we not? So first prerequisite is the design rig. And then I mentioned the duct leakage test. That's pretty well understood by the listeners mm -hmm. here. And then we get into evaluation of different components. And the first is airflow. And you mentioned grade one, two, and three. Sure. And when you start moving through these gates, you must score better than a grade three in order to proceed. So if you get to the airflow measurement and it's a grade three, then it's full stop. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. But if you score well enough, grade one or two, then you can proceed. And then there are the other verification elements, the CFM per what, and we get to refrigerant charge. And there's a really great infographic, which I will link in the show notes that was uh, developed. That It's right there. It tells you green lights, red lights, the, yep. the flow through the whole process. It's a really great, succinct way of how to do it right is really what it spells out to me. So kudos to the team that put that together and the standard development. So going back over to Scott, how will raters and QADs get qualified? How are they going to get into using this? I'm sure there are some using it already, but how do more get involved? Yeah, so ResNet has online training. We've got four online training modules. Those are free to raters and quality assurance designees. Of course, it's because these features are voluntary, you don't necessarily have to go through that training. But obviously, the evaluation of, of these features there are elements to it that were not part of the Raider certification. So the things that Raiders do to earn their base certification and the testing that we put them through did not necessarily include some of this knowledge. So we've created kind of an add-on training. These four modules, as I said, are free. They're hosted on ResNet's training portal, and any Raider can have access to that. 
most of them already have an access created because that's where they've done some of their testing, our simulator testing, et cetera, is, is on that same training portal. But if not, you can create a new login for it. And readers that want to use this and rating field inspectors as well that want to give credit for HVAC grading are required to take those four modules in online training, complete them, and then they have to test out in a practical test. So that would be in a real home, performing all the test measurements, evaluations that you would do for HVAC grading, and that has to get proctored. And so the issue we had in trying to create this scheme for basically certifying raters to do HVAC grading and RFIs to do HVAC grading that we needed to have somebody who was qualified to oversee them and basically be a field proctor. We've chosen to use ResNet's quality assurance designee as the entity or the certification that we're recognizing as valid for field proctoring, but they have to go through the online modules first. So if you're a quality assurance designee wanting to oversee the practical field evaluation for raters and rating field inspectors, you'd first have to go through these online modules. There's no testing required for quality assurance designees. Basically, that would have required me or somebody from ResNet staff to proctor a couple hundred people all across the U.S. So because the quality assurance designee is a higher designation, they're expected to have a higher level of learning already and experience in our industry. We feel pretty good about the design that we have here. And it is being in, it's being used right now. As you said, Bill, there are people who are already training their raters and rating field inspectors and are already evaluating homes under this standard. And the standard's available. looks like it's available on the ResNet site for free download too. Yeah, you can find that under the ANSI standard section of our webpage. If you go to ResNet's webpage under basically the home drop-down list, there's a section for standards there. And the ANSI standards have its own section. The MinHERS is another section. Standard 310 is an ANSI standard. One thing I want to point out about that is because it's a national standard, there's the potential for it to be recognized in the future in code by ICC. Just as you see references now to standard 301 or standard 380, that would be how to do the energy modeling for a home under R405 or how to do testing for blower door and duct leakage in the case of standard 380, there's the potential in the future for codes to incorporate HVAC grading should they choose to. Now there's a national standard that would be something they could reference. Sure, they could point to it. Absolutely. And I would say anybody who's the least bit interested in this, it's actually an education in and of itself, the standard. I give a lot of credit to the way it's written in terms of the extensive glossary. If you're like a little shy on your capabilities or understanding of HVC, even if this standard doesn't apply to the work you're doing, you should just read the doggone thing. It'll give you a very good idea and perhaps like demystify the process to some extent for a lot of people. Yeah, I really like the flowchart that was created for the standard. I think for raters, rating field inspectors, even quality assurance designees, it's not uncommon for HVAC to be like the last thing for folks in our industry to gain a comfort level with. And I think the flowchart makes this really accessible kind of to anybody that's working at those three levels to break it down into the steps to realize these are things that you can follow a step-by-step process and work your way through it. And 
it might seem intimidating because some of these are diagnostic or measurements in the field that people haven't done, but really they're pretty straightforward. We've given a lot of flexibility to the testing equipment or test methodology that people want to use. So it's even possible that you already own the equipment as a rater, rating field inspector to perform a lot of these tests. Yeah, I was going to ask Wes, we dialogue about that a little bit. So the blower fan airflow, you have four different methods that are applicable that can be used. And that's the flow grid, pressure matching, flow hood, or static pressure table. So they're all kind of like varying degrees of investment in tools and materials and techniques. The standard was written with some flexibility in mind there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We always want to support people who purvey tools, but we also Mm -hmm. want to support those raiders out in the field and they've already made an investment and we wanted to recognize that. So yeah, they can use their DG1000 or what's the latest bill? There's a digital true flow grid now. That's just come out of DG8. DG8. Yeah. yeah. So whatever meter or the you're using with your meter. door, yeah. right. Whatever you're using to measure envelope leakage or doing the test, the duct leakage, that same meter will work. And typically there's included a static pressure probe with a meter. And right. so there's hopefully very little to purchase from the Raiders' point of view. Yeah. Maybe a little repurposing or re-education, reorientation right. to that. Now, right. the one thing that is a little bit different perhaps is the blower fan watt draw. So there are three different ways of assessing that, the watt draw, a plug-in watt meter, a clamp-on watt meter, and the house utility meter. Is the techniques involved there? Can you describe that a little bit? First, the plug-in meter. A lot of furnaces are plug-in. They'll, when you go down to or wherever the equipment's installed, there's a plug in an outlet. And so you would unplug the furnace, insert this meter and then you plug your furnace back into that, and it's measuring the amperage and the voltage. You're converting that to power or watts, and then it gives you a measurement. An amp clamp and a multimeter with a measuring voltage and amperage, and then doing the simple math to calculate the watts. And then last but not least, an alternate approved method is you shut down everything in the house, and let's run just the fan how much wattage is that pulling? And you're looking at the meter either digitally or the old analog (laughs) cycling around and you're measuring it that way. And to each their own. And there's also an opportunity for using a smart tool, using feedback from the equipment. If it provides that information, there is an independent verification report option. So that's something that ACCA is exploring is if raters are less inclined to take those measurements, uh, we'd like to provide a path for HVAC professionals who are already taking those measurements, whether it's airflow or the fan watt draw and or the refrigerant charge, and bundling that and handing it to the rater, and they can save their time and effort and use credentialed information. Very good. And then the last step is the refrigerant charge, sort of the pinnacle of all this. Is the non-invasive temperature test, which, right. as I understand it, involves no connection of gauges, no breaching of Absolutely. the integrity of the system. And then the weigh-in verification, that would someone would have to have an EPA 608 certification to touch that aspect of it. And the weigh-in verification is meant for to provide a path for the contractor to ah, demonstrate that they weighed it in and then present that information to the rater. So they're assessing, here's a scale. And it read this much. I believe there's only one photograph 
or demonstration of proof required. And then there's the non-invasive, but that requires the installer, the person who did charge the system to relay some information because there's some pressures and temperatures and the temperatures are the ones that matter that need to be used as a basis for comparison. And so the radar can come behind, start the equipment. Again, no gauges, no 608 certification required. And they can obtain some companion measurements. And if things are lining up, they scale in accordance with the outdoor temperature and the indoor conditions. And so there is a way with confidence that we can test refrigerant charge without being invasive. And the sort of the impetus for this comes from the fact that the HV system can be one of the largest energy consuming devices within residential. Scott, do you want to talk to that? This is where the maybe the shoulders came to push this through? Yeah, I mean, I think there's depending on what seat people occupy, there may be some different motivations. I like to compare it to insulation quality. Hmm. When I first joined this industry, it was about 2002 or something. In my local market here, there was no real quality oversight or emphasis on the quality of installation for uh, wall and floor insulation. And we've just come such a long ways since then. Mm. It's basically part of the code expectation here locally that you will do a grade one installation if you're going to meet code. That's what the manufacturer is standing behind. If they call it R13 or R19, they don't mean that you did a really poor job installing it and you're going to get R19. You're going to only get that if you install it per the manufacturer's inspections. And now code officials more and more are expecting that. And our standards provide a basis for them to reference, okay, this is what you have to do in order to meet code. And because of it, when the utility programs have played a part as well, because of that, it's essentially transformed, I would say, the industry here. You don't see what I saw when I was first introduced to looking at wall insulation at a pre-drywall inspection, the things that I was seeing back then are very rare now because you just can't get away with that. And I would say we're headed for that same, that's what gets me excited about it. We're headed for that same kind of market transformation. I think we get um, wide adoption of HVAC grading, basically saying, hey, the installation matters. People are going to start to care about it. The various stakeholders, whether they're utility programs or even code officials, once people start to care about it, you measure it, you pay attention to it, you call it out if it's bad, you really see things take off. And I'm excited for that basically just because I think it gets to our overall mission. This is a way to really have an impact on the comfort and energy use of residential homes. Very good. Something that, that I like to think about is the fact that HVAC is not a product. It's a system that comes together and the final impact is made at the point of installation. If you want to comment on that, Wes, I can see his face here. He's had a lot. I don't want to fall off his shoulders. Come on. What are you thinking? Uh, I read that when Jack Welch was running GE, Mm -hmm. he wanted to divest himself of everything in which GE was not number one or number two. And they had a very strong residential HVAC market, and they wound up selling that to another manufacturer. And I like to think it was because Jack looked at the product and said, hey, we do make a great product. However, it depends so much on the contractor who installs it. And not only just the equipment, but that distribution system 
to which they connect it. And if it's not tight and if it's not balanced and if it's not well insulated and if it's so many things depend on that installation. So even if we make the best product on the market, if it goes into a home and it's not installed well, we lose all our credibility and all our reputation. I think that's what standard 301 is starting to move the needle in the field. And so we are also very excited to see this come about. Any thoughts on that, Scott? The topic of the QA is so important to get the product. Yeah, I mean, I was just taught this all the way back when I first joined the industry. You get what you inspect, not what you expect. And so the assumptions that we've been building into our rating system, as far as things being installed, ideally, they just haven't been true. That's probably borne out in the expectations for energy efficiency in our HERS index score. And I think we're we're excited because this is a way to get more accurate, uh, more real world predictions on energy efficiency. And I just, I opened up the standard here in front of me. I'm looking at it in terms of purpose and scope. And I think that's always important to make sure that we're orienting correctly. Nine times out of 10, someone listening is going to have the potential to engage in this. But just to be clear, it's the procedures, tolerances, record keeping practices, everything's in there. It's a rather long standard, but it's a very important thing to collect all this information and bring it together correctly. And the interesting part is it's intended for use by home energy raters, energy auditors, or HVAC contractors, driving back to that point that Wes mentioned, that this could go into more broad usage outside of just the HERS world. The other thing too is it's lengthy, it's detailed, but it's important to know it's for air conditioners and heat pumps up to 65 kBTUH. So that's just a little over five tons and furnaces up to 125 kBTUH. In detached one and two family dwellings, townhouses, et cetera, et cetera, typical uh, resonant language. Yeah, we thought that was going to hit the sweet spot of the market. As you know, Bill, the performance of an air conditioner or heat pump depends on its location. Yes. So a heat pump in Phoenix is not going to perform the same as one in Seattle, where it's much milder in the in the summertime. So yeah, that 65 kBTUH for the air conditioner or heat pump, it's about the upper limit for a residential unitary system. And same thing for a home. And, and we hope to see those furnace numbers come down a whole lot more. I think that uh, most dwellings could do with a much smaller furnace. Oh, yeah, that seems to be echoing in various corridors lately. And maybe I should read the glossary here, which I talked about so glowingly before. But when it says unitary HVAC systems, does that refer to that being only one system in a residence? Or would you test each system? Or how do you deal with multiple systems? Each system would be tested. Unitary is a term that is, carries over from HRI, but it's talking about equipment that serves a certain market. And that's become, for I think, to keep things simple, we'll just call it the residential market. There's a light commercial end of that same spectrum, but we'll just stick with the residential end. But to your question, yes, if you've got two systems in the home, you test both systems independently. Okay. And many splits, we didn't refer to that specifically, but those would be included in this. They are. They have a few exceptions built in. Measuring airflow, for example, Mm -hmm. you're going to default that the equipment does meet the airflow requirement. That's actually an interesting little issue we want to address in the new ACC 5 QI standard, the quality installation standard. Try and look at, is there a way we can provide some parameters that if the equipment is installed correctly, 
meeting clearances, then the airflow will be assumed to be correct. There are a few minor installation faults that can impact airflow, but by and large, it's, it comes correct right out of the box. You did mention ECHA QI5, quality installation yes. standard. Just for those that aren't familiar with that, this is some of the, the fertile ground upon which the standard was developed and added on to. What are Ab- those standards? Absolutely. Yeah. So you want to know more about the QI5 standard? Yeah, a little bit more about the QI5 standard. Yeah. Sure. So it was started back in 2003 or 2004 and was recognized as a ANSI standard, national standard, in 2007. And it sought to set out the minimum requirements for a quality installation. It's become a challenge because the title quality installation sounds like, oh, this is, must be the superlative, but it really is all about setting some minimum requirements. And much like this document, it, talk, it sets the metrics to be measured and evaluated, the tolerances and the documentation required. And so the standard looks at the design, the equipment installation, the distribution system, and then last but not least, the documentation for those elements that were evaluated. Okay, I think we've covered the who, what, when, where, why, and how, how to use it, and we covered the why. It's a pretty complete coverage of the topic here for this little podcast. Anything you'd like to add in closing, Scott? Yeah, a couple of things. We didn't touch on it very much, but one of the big why, why would you do this reasons has to do with the 45L tax credit. Uh, yes. So not only can you earn some HRSA-X points, but I think we probably didn't touch on that enough. Probably the biggest motivation for a builder to want to ask for this add-on service is the fact that in the 45L calculation, we've got permission to account for HVAC grading in that evaluation. So you know, if you were right on the cusp, right on the borderline, this could be something that tips you over and helps to be able to show the home meeting 45L. And then the other thing I just wanted to point out is that there's a progressive, as I mentioned, a flowchart, progressive steps to this where you start at that design stage and then you go to total duct leakage, blower fan airflow, blower fan watch off, refrigerant charge. It's not all or nothing. And I can't emphasize that enough because if there's something in here that you're worried, well, maybe I won't be able to test that or maybe I won't be able to get the information I need from certain contractors and refrigeration especially refrigerant charge requires some cooperation with your HVAC installer. If there's some elements to this that you feel like maybe you won't be able to do in all instances, I just want to emphasize that it's not all or nothing. You can earn partial credit. Let's just say you get through the design review, total duct leakage, blower fan airflow, and then you stop. You can still go ahead and give grading for those three steps that you did complete and earn some partial credit for that. Very good. So it's doable, really doable. It was designed to be doable. Yeah. And I really think that's something that is important to, especially the early adoption of this, is that it needs to not be all or nothing. It needs to be accessible. There need to be options that aren't don't require the expensive purchase of equipment. I think the designers of this standard have done a really good job. I'll credit you, Wes, and your colleagues that participated in the design of this standard for that really thinking about how this could be practical and how it can work in the marketplace. It's not a pie-in-the-sky kind of ideal. I think it's pretty accessible. Very good. Mr. Davis, any closing thoughts? Maybe one or two. So to Scott's point, I need to give all the credit to the colleagues. I showed up, I made a comment or two along the way, but all the heavy lifting was done by 
the other smart guys in the room. And I think my parting thought is that quality installation is very important. I think standard 310 goes a long way toward helping HVAC professionals demonstrate that. And is it going to be rocky? Yes. Is it going to have some bumps along the way? Probably. But the goal is the right goal. We're moving in the right direction. I think things will get better. Processes will be streamlined. Information flow the whole nine yards. I think we've got to start with the understanding that what we're doing is the right thing. And this is a good thing. Well, a thought I've had for a long time is in order to raise the bar, you have to have a bar. Not Very go to important. the bar, but you guys are, you, you, you've made the bar here. So uh, and maybe after the long, tough day, you do go to the bar, but that's a whole other topic here. So, all right, gentlemen, thank you again. Always a pleasure speaking with you on these topics and others. Enjoy your smiling faces and your background and what you bring to the industry. Thank you very much. Thank you, Flack. All right. Appreciate it. I want to thank you again for listening to this important episode of the Res Talk podcast, where we talked about the grading of the installation of HVAC systems. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. And the quote for today is by W. Edwards Deming. And this was also paraphrased by Scott in our conversation. The quote from Deming, you can expect what you inspect. If you're interested in feeding back to Resin on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you've not subscribed to the podcast, please do so. As always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Thank you.